0: I remember my very first camping trip with the Boy Scouts. For some reason, the Regional Council chose a recently harvested cornfield as our camping spot. <laughs> After smoothing some of the broken corn stalks down, the Scouts pitched their tents. Not me though, I was sleeping in Dad's new truck that had the camper shell on top. (laughs) So I was lucky. The evening was fairly pleasant, decent weather. And then it rained. It rained all night. The tents were old canvas tents that probably hadn't been waterproof since the early Reagan administration. (laughs) One of the boys, I remember, was so cold that his teeth were chattering. Even one of our leaders had trouble getting his pickup out of the field. Camping trip was called off, we went home early. So much for be prepared. (laughs) But that's kind of the pattern sometimes. We have such high hopes for something. A camping trip, a business venture, a new pet. And then something happens that we weren't prepared for. We weren't prepared for that flight to be canceled. We weren't prepared for bad weather. We weren't prepared for the difficulties in getting a loan or in hiring workers. We weren't prepared for fleas. So many things can go wrong, which is why I have such sympathy for the foolish bridesmaids who forgot to bring oil in the Gospel reading today. It seems horribly unfair, doesn't it? I struggled with this one. I did. Because this parable, which is a sign that it's a good parable, this parable, like the rest of Jesus' parables, makes me uncomfortable. It seems at first glance to point to this idea. Get your act together, people! Jesus is coming soon, so you better be ready. Or you just might get shut out of the wedding, and it will be all your fault. There's little grace in such a reading, even if it is a fair reading. There's little accounting for the ways in which we are so often seldom prepared for Jesus' presence among us, even in worship. However, I don't want to go to the other extreme and play the scholar and say something like, well, Matthew had a lot of conflict in his context, and so he reworked these parables to... And to emphasize a sharp division between insiders and outsiders, good people and bad people, wheat and weeds, that might be true also, but it sidesteps the discomfort of this whole parable. Perhaps that very discomfort, that very sense of unfairness, the other reactions it provokes, might help us get at God's word for us today in this text. We learn that the groom is delayed. Why? Who knows? Doesn't say. Doesn't say why he's delayed. Whatever the case, the bridesmaids didn't expect the groom to take so long. They didn't expect the wedding to start at midnight. And on a side note, if I might add, if a wedding starts that late, you can count me out as an officiant. (laughs) They didn't expect their lamps to go out so soon. They didn't expect that there wouldn't be enough oil to share They didn't expect to be sent to a store to buy more oil at such a late hour, and who has a shop open at midnight? And they didn't expect to be shut out with the chilling words, truly, I do not know you. But that's just it. They didn't expect a lot of things. They did not perceive that something different than their preferred future would happen. In that case, the parable may be just as much about the disciples' readiness for the meantime, for the now, than what to do in the end times. Because once the bridegroom appears, that's it in the story. The bridegroom comes as suddenly and as unexpectedly as a hallelujah during Lent, like in the first reading. That was deliberate, by the way. It's where our song of the day comes in. And thank you, thank you, Deb, for bringing up the Keep Your Lamps. That's great. Because the song is a spiritual, Keep Your Lamps Trimmed and Burning. And like many spirituals, there's a double meaning. There's the plain meaning there about being ready for the Lord's return, how the work of life is hard, and wearisome, but there's an end, to sight, end in sight to it. And then there's the other meaning for those who were preparing to run for their freedom, about how an escape could be engineered any day, so they needed to be prepared for their moment to leave. Because once that moment came, there was no going back to it. Either way, this song doesn't emphasize so much the return of Christ itself, but rather encourage perseverance, living faithfully in the face of overwhelming adversity. So how might we live with such perseverance in our time, a time that feels increasingly fragile, tenuous, and anxious, so much anxiety in our world today? And I should note that I didn't intend to write a classic three-point sermon when I started this, but that's just exactly how it turned out. So here we go. We remember that God is good, and God's goodness and mercy is greater than God's righteous wrath and judgment. There is wrath. There is divine wrath for sure. There can be no divine love, after all, without divine wrath at the ways human evil wrecks God's good world. But God is good. And when, and God comes for our good at altars, pulpits, and fonts like these. God is here for your blood today. When we're opened, not when we open ourselves, but when we are opened to receive to God's abundant mercy, God's overflowing goodness, we weather such strange anxious times as ours. That divine perseverance is a gift. Think about this. What if instead of the dealers going to the dealers to buy oil, the foolish bridesmaids simply waited in the dark for the groom to arrive without anxiously running off to buy more? What if they simply waited? What if they simply presented their unprepared selves just as they were? Second, we live with a bigger picture of our world, prepared to see Christ breaking into ordinary life. Life is far more than what is happening day to day, week to week, on this level of existence. It's easy to close ourselves off to any sense of transcendence, any sense of anything greater. Brian knows what I'm talking about because we heard about this yesterday. I bet if I asked you, many of you, if, you had, if you've ever had a direct experience of God, or God speaking to you, or God's immediate presence, you would be able to say yes and point to a specific time. I bet many of you would be able to say that was God in that moment. We know that life is more about more than paying your bills and getting your kids to their next activity. We live knowing that this world will be made new one day. The only thing that has ultimate significance here is is what happened on that cross 2,000 years ago outside of Jerusalem, which gave us a place with God forever. And we also live remembering that we are all beloved creatures of God. We're all made in God's image, reformed with Christ's image and transformed by the Holy Spirit. We let our light shine with Christ's light, which never goes out. And when we remember how much we are all loved and forgiven by God, we show great compassion to our neighbors, because we remember that they are loved and forgiven as well. We can let go of what we've been holding on to. Now this is often a process, of course. process of forgiving on this side of heaven can take a while, especially if it's something big and traumatic can take a lot of remembering that we're redeemed by Christ and that Christ has forgiven us to let go of an old hurt. But such a letting go becomes something we get to do. Something we're empowered to do. Not something we better do or else. Living faithfully in the meantime does mean being prepared. But it also means accepting Just how deeply unprepared we are. We're not going to think of everything. Our sinful selves are just going to be nearsighted at times. But we have God's goodness and mercy in Jesus Christ. When our light goes out, wait in the darkness. Remember that there's more to life to your life, to my life, than this, the thing, the immediate anxiety that we're going through. Christ will come with his light and ultimately will bring us into the wedding feast that has no man.